And I think that's the, what, one of the things that pros don't get credit for. Oh, the drugs. And the, no, those motherfuckers haven't missed meals for 10 years. You know? <laughs> like, they don't skip meals. They don't miss meals. They don't have bad workouts. They don't let stress yeah. get in their way. Nothing stops them. <laughs> Hey, what's up, guys? Welcome back to Blood, Sweat, and Gear with Skip Hill, Andrew Berry. I'm Scott McNally, and once again, we are joined by Phil Viz. Guys, thanks for being back with me. All of our programming is brought to you by truenutrition.com. You can use our code THINK for some additional savings. We are also brought to you by you guys, the awesome people at Patreon. Thank you so much for supporting what we're doing. Um, if you're new here, do us a favor, hit the subscribe button, the, the like button, the bell, all that stuff. It helps to boost us in the algorithm and leave us comments. Feel free to comment with uh, questions for the next show. We were going to start this segment with a topic. Uh, this is a topic I believe you came up with last week, Skip, while we were kind of chatting about plans. Uh, and that is, uh, do we need to train in a full range of motion? How important is a full range of motion in training? And I'm going to be really curious to hear what you guys have to say. So we're going to start with that. We have a physique critique, and we've got a bunch of questions uh, piled up here from you guys for Phil. So let's start with this training topic, Skip. Where, where do we want to go with this? Well, here's the thing. I'm going to be honest and upfront and completely transparent and say I don't, I don't know that I have the answer. I'm actually curious what you guys think at the same time. Be, and, and I'll tell you why. I was watching Pump and Iron, the original, not like the new one, but the original. So it was funny when we were talking about legs and last week on the other podcast about squatting. You want to see how to fucking squat. Watch Ed Corning, his set oh, of squats, God. because that's what, that's what a set of squats should fucking look like. And if you oh, ever yeah. bust someone's balls for taking breaths between reps, you got to make sure you're coming just as hard, if not harder, <laughs> before you criticize him for waiting in between those last few reps. Anyway, what I noticed, and I've seen this, we've all seen it a thousand times. I watched it a hundred times before I was 17. Phil probably has me beat. I don't know. But I went back and I watched it because I was bored, and I was thinking to myself, God, the training was so different then as far as range of motion. And I was looking at their physiques and clearly the conditioning. I mean, every time I see it, I'm like, God, I, I can't believe they got away with this conditioning back then at that level. But yeah. I mean, Mike Katz, I was laughing. I'm like, God, dude, like there's not a line on you, <laughs> but whatever. And I don't mean that as being disrespectful to, to, to Mike, because at that time it, it clearly wasn't much of an issue, but even the size of, you know, of, um, uh, oh shit! Come on, not uh, Waller, and and that sort of thing. And even Arnold's condition. Arnold looked great, you know, in South Africa, but it wasn't. You know, even Lou, Lou's condition. I was like, holy shit! But anyway, point is, is the range of motion was different then, and obviously, you know, training styles have progressed and everything. But we see a lot of top pros now who. And you'll see this when people troll them, like, oh, it wasn't deep. Oh, that wasn't a lockout. That wasn't this. That wasn't that. And yet they're fucking three times bigger than the guy commenting, and they're twice as big as me. Um, mm -hmm. So it brings me to that. I was just mulling it over in my head. I'm like, what is it with the range of motion? I got into a discussion about isometrics and things like that and how isometrics, you know, are they – if you were to – experiment and only do really heavy you only did the the stretch component or the stretch part of a lap pull for say the first one third of a rep what would that growth be relative to full reps what if you can't finish a t-bar we're doing t-bars these days where 
it's a lot of fucking arm. It's just a lot versus being able to lighten that load and be able to fully stretch, fully squeeze. Now, we can eliminate things, or I'll try to, as far as injury and things of that nature, um, flexibility. So those are kind of givens that if you train through a full range of motion, you're going to have flexibility. So it's going to make you less vulnerable to injury. But where does everything stand with range of motion for growth, just strictly hypertrophy? I don't have, I don't know that I have the answer to that. So I thought we could throw it around. Hmm. It is a good well, one. I have, I have a good I have a good opinion on this, but I know that John Meadows had a great theory on this, and Andrew probably has the same theory. So I'll let Andrew go first, and then I'll uh, I'll close this out. Man, so I mean, I, I agree with everything Skip said because usually the people that are like you got to go one hundred percent full range of motion are guys that are never going to reach the level of some of these other guys that are like, you know, like I think of um, like Ronnie Coleman, probably the greatest bodybuilder of all time Were his reps clean on every single set. Pretty much. No, like he's he, like one of the Warren. highly, most highly criticized people, branch Ronnie, you know, everybody about their training. Absolutely. But yet they trained intense. I, I think the yeah. number one factor is intensity and whatever you do. Uh, there's so many things going through my head right now. Cause I can think of a uh, Scott Stevenson, maybe either a podcast I watched that he did with you, Scott, or discussions I've had with him where he's bringing up studies of just isometric contractions yeah. or just eccentric only training. So, and, and people have, uh, saw results out of it. So there's so many things going through my head right now. I think the more, or I'm sorry, the, the less genetically advantaged you are, the more you need to hone into the type of training that absolutely works for you. And I say that because if you look at a lot of the top bodybuilders out there that have done maybe a DC type program, they also got results from doing like a Jay Cutler, just volume, you know, through the roof type programming. They grew either way and they reached their max size. So I, I and I always go back to this and it's probably annoying, but I think genetics is the number one determiner in our sport. It's not drugs. It's not eating all your meals. It's not it, it's, it's always genetics. But to get to what Phil was talking about. John utilized full range of motion. He utilized partial reps. He utilized partial out of the stretch position. He yeah. utilized partials out of the contracted position. He utilized static reps. Um, so I would agree it's all the above. I think it's absolutely all the above can be utilized in a program for effective growth. And I think that's where a good trainer, um, you know, just learns their body, learns which things work, you know. You know what I think is an important factor to add to that is it, it, what John was doing is it was intentional. You know, I think sometimes what we see is we see people that are doing a partial range of motion, but they're doing that partial range of motion because that's just where they feel comfortable and it's what they've always done versus intentionally saying like like some of the stuff I remember doing uh, from John's programs would be like one week we would start like a really heavy overloaded pull down, only pulling it down to your face. And mm -hmm. then the next week we do a, a, a lighter pull down that you could really squeeze low but then not really spend a lot of time at the top so it's like you know i think that that's a big factor is your what are your intentions with a particular exercise you know versus you know for the same reason like when we do a pull down we one of the things i like to do is i like to touch my chest but the reason i like to do that is because and we've heard other people say this too you know then you know that you're getting this you're you're being consistent on each rep you know when you make a good point, though, too, that if you're with the intent and when you said that, I was thinking, God, where's he going with this? But someone who's doing it without knowing is not making they're not trying to find ways to make the set harder. They're finding ways to make it easier. Yeah. OK, well, so that's if different. you're using. Yeah, they, yeah. So then you have someone like us who may uh, may take something and go, I'm going to use this partial range of motion 
and I just to brutalize this this set in this muscle, then that's I mean that's apples and oranges. That's completely yeah. night and day. Yeah. All right. Well, I guess it's my turn. Always your Run turn. Look. I could uh, I could do an hour on this topic. <laughs> I mean, we could go around and circle about it. I'm gonna. What is that? We could go around and around like in circles because like I just thought try, of oh, yeah. three more I'm things I want to say. Condense this because I have um, a very good argument on this topic. Um, so first of all, we want to consider points in the range of motion. Where are the muscles stronger? Where are the muscles weaker? Right? Mm-hmm. Okay. So um, if we're using a bicep curl, for example, where are we weakest? We're weakest in the fully shortened position, right? Okay. So if we have, say we're going to break up a muscle into three points of the movement, stretched, mid-range, peak contraction. Well, you're going to have different strengths in each different range of motion, right? So if we mm-hmm. used one fixed weight and go full range of motion, one part of the motion is going to not be overloaded because it's too mm-hmm. easy. Hmm, true. Because if I can curl, say I can curl 50 pounds all the way to the top. But I can curl 100 halfway. Yeah. Well, guess what? The first half of that rep, it can do 100. So 50 is shit. Hmm. So if you break up the points of the range of motion, and this is something that John used to say, you don't have to do every point of the range of motion every exercise, but you have to hit every point at some point. Hmm. And now like we, can look to, we can look to powerlifting for clear examples of this. Right. If right. a powerlifter wants to strengthen their triceps, do they do full bench? No, they'll do a board press. They'll do a floor press. They'll do a portion of that range of motion that emphasizes exactly what they want it to and overloads it to the maximum amount of its ability. And then they put all the pieces together. Mm-hmm. So that's what I think that's is optimal point. for training muscle groups. Now, I want to bring in, um, again, experience with this and, and trying things and seeing what works for your body and what helps you connect the best. Because I was talking to uh, my friend Max Charles years ago, and he said to me, he's like, everybody always gives me shit for not doing full reps on, on my bench, right? He's like, do you think that I didn't try that? And, and, it didn't, and, and I didn't right. like the results, and I found out that my partial reps gave me a bigger chest. He's like, he's like full range of motion, that's a great idea. I never thought of that. I never, yeah. I never thought to try that, you know? And then... Um, so, I mean, that's just an example of that, but then, and then we have compound movements. Now, me, for example, if I bottom out a squat, I am stronger than if I stop at parallel. Why? Because I'm getting assistance from the glutes. I'm getting elasticity and I'm getting a boost out of the hole. Now, if I stop halfway, I'm removing that elasticity. I'm taking the glutes out of it to an extent and I have to decelerate with my quads. So it's actually making it harder on my quads to stop halfway than going all the way down. So if I want big quads, I am not squatting all the way in the fucking hole, especially not for me and my structure. If you look at all of the the Asian guys, for example, with like the big ass fucking quads, they all stop at parallel. Um, My old friend, Justin Mackey, I remember he was doing hack squats and I just asked him, why do you stop in the middle? He's like, if I go lower, I'd lose the tension on my quads. It goes everywhere else. Great answer. You know, so I think that you need to consider if you're doing a compound, what you're targeting and what your goal is. Like you were talking about a lat pull down, right? So if we look anatomically at what our body does, if I'm doing a lat pull down, I can pull my elbow down with my forearm straight. I'm going to have to step back for this, but I can pull my, I can pull down and keep my forearm vertical to an extent. 
So this is going to stop right about at my nose line. If I want to get it to my chest, I need internal rotation. Yes. That's rotator cuff. That's Terry's major. Mm -hmm. That's Terry's minor. That's um, still lats, but you're shifting the stress from one muscle group to another. It depends on what you want to do. Now, granted, you want everything to grow, right? But then it goes back to the argument of weak points in a range of motion. If I can pull 100 pounds to my nose, right? But I can only pull 50 to my chest. Well, that means I'm not overloading my lats in the first half of the range of motion. Yeah. So what, like you said, what John did is did one this time, one the next time, break it up, split it up, and emphasize each one of those individual parts. So a lot of times I'll see people who have weaknesses, like um, my client, Henry Jackson. For the last year, we've been working on his back width because he actually has a, he has a, a degree in exercise phys. So he knows his biomechanics real, real, real well. So if you watch him row, he stops before the bar touches his chest huh. because getting the bar to your stomach requires some internal rotation. So he isolated his lats so well that this is actually rare. He's lat dominant and his terries didn't grow with his lats. No kidding. So now I have him doing pull downs all the way to his chest to get that internal rotation because I want that. Yeah. I want to hit the terries now because your width people don't realize is actually going to come from your terries major. Your lat attaches outside the teres major, and the teres major pushes that insertion out, and the lat hangs outside of it. So everybody thinks that your width comes from your lats, your width does not come from your lats. Your width, right. width comes from your teres major, which is internal rotation, pull downs to your chest, pullovers, things like that. So yeah. let me piggyback yeah. this because you make it. You said it. You set. You're setting me up to ask this question because I do believe this, and I'm throwing myself out there, maybe under the bus, to see if you guys agree. But I think you will. As you, as we get bigger, and especially, you know, it would take someone who has progressed to the pro level or, you know, any of, I guess, you guys other than me and Scott McNally. We'll just throw that out there. But as you get bigger, the muscle gets in the way of your range of motion. Can we, can we agree on that? You're not going to, as an example, you know, I, I remember when I was younger, I could do bench dips between two benches for tries. I'd be like, get a smoke and try. There's no fucking way that I could I could barely get my hand and I'm not that big. I can barely get my hand behind me to do a side tricep because of again, and we could argue that it's flexibility and and, and to obviously to some degree it is, but it's I don't know that it's something that could be fixed by just flat out stretching. When you get more muscle in the way, after you get a pump, I can take a an incline bench and take the bar down to my chest if it's the first exercise, get me to the second or third. And now I'm forcing a range of motion that is uncomfortable and putting me in a vulnerable position. It may well be again. I, one of the things I believe in strongly is doing rows on hammer left, right, left, right. Because I feel like if someone is big enough, when you pull back, essentially the left side gets in the way of the right side. When it comes to contraction, if you're doing one at a time, you're pulling not just back, but you're being able to pull up back and a little bit across and the other you know, um, basically your mid back on the left isn't in the way of that max contraction. It would be similar to doing a cable crossover, I guess, where instead of touching them, you're doing them one at a time and you're going to get a better range of motion. So I would argue that that is, that could be why that guys, when they're bigger, the Phil Heath, the guys, you know, just ridiculous yourself with you know, your legs that you don't have to squat below parallel at that point. And it would probably be counterproductive to some degree. Uh, and, oh, and one more thing I want to add to is when you watch someone squat, 
to parallel or you watch their depth. You can't watch the top of their quad. You have to watch where their fucking leg bone would be. <laughs> because if you have glutes and hams that are now three inches bigger and thicker than they were, you're not going to be able to get down as far and potentially put yourself in a pelvic tilt that's going to be a vulnerable position. There's just a lot of shit to it. But I guess what I'm saying is the more size you get, you're, you're going to potentially lose range of motion. Who can do a, once your arms get to even moderate size, can you really get get your arms straight to do a fucking barbell curl like you could when you were skinny. It's not, those things aren't going to happen. Well, here's, here's, here's the thing. Um, I think a lot of people lose mobility because they allow it to happen over a period of time. If we look at the nature of how the body heals itself, for example, if we get injured, what's the first thing that happens? Everything tightens up, right? Everything gets tighter. So as a muscle is growing, it's getting tighter and you're losing range of motion. So you have to act, you have to actively, work on keeping that range of motion open in order for it to be safe. If we could look back to, for example, Arnold, he used to do flies with the dumbbell touching the fucking floor, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> He's benched 500 pounds and he had a gigantic chest and he never, and he, he flat benched his whole career and he's never torn his pack, hmm. you know, because he kept his range of motion open. So what happens is if you if you keep your mobility open and you keep the range of motion open, then you're going to have a better active range of motion. And this is where people usually get hurt is because they get down to a point where the weight pushes you down past a range of motion because the weight's on your back or weight's on your chest or whatever it is. And that's not your active range. Whatever, if you, you should be squatting down no lower than you can do it with your body weight. You know, people, people always say, oh, I need 225 on my back to squat deep. That just means the weight's pushing you down. That's not your active range of motion. So if we're strong all the way until here, once we get here, that's where injuries happen because you're not active in this range of motion. You have to actively you have to be proactive and stay strong and functional through those range of motions and motions in order for those ranges of motions to apply. Mm -hmm. Now, other things that you were talking about, such as encroachment, is a little bit different. Now, encroachment is when something gets in the way, like your hamstrings touching your calves and you can't squat any deeper. Yeah, I understand that. Now, you can very, very much so be huge. I could, I could show you guys videos right now doing cannonball squats with my ass touching my fucking ankles with 315 when my legs were over 30 inches because I kept that range of motion and I worked on it. So a lot of times people get caught up using a partial range of motion, like they'll go three quarters of the way down on bench or they'll squat to parallel and they've never gone beyond that range of motion. So once they try to go beyond that range of motion, it becomes dangerous and you can get hurt. So one of the things that I think that people need to do is actively keep that range of motion open, you know, being functional with your mobility. I actually like that comment that you said about the squat because it, it's so simple but it explains it very well. If you can't squat down with your body weight, essentially, if you want to know what your range of motion is for a weighted squat, you squat down to where your you can squat down just your body weight and anything under that really is the weight forcing the range of motion. That's actually yeah. a very good way to explain well, it. I now, to back I up what Phil was saying I there, he's actually, I've, 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 I've had text conversations with him where he's like, oh, I'm just going in to do my, I think, I don't know if you call it a squat workout, you explained it to me like you weren't actually using – you weren't purposely going in there to do a leg training session. You were going in there nope. to do a mobility squat session yep. to improve his – this is like three or four years ago we were having this yep. conversation. And he was That's doing it like shit. weekly or twice a week or something. Yeah. 
because I want to make sure now I've actually altered the way I do it. And I just do that at the end of the workout, but I always make sure I do um, mobility work at the end of the workout, but I also do it as I'm warming up. Now, like, like I said about the weight pushing you down, say I'm squatting, for example, and I use 135 on the bar. I 135 is safe, you know, I'm 250 plus. So 135 is safe for me. That's not going to get me injured. So I will let that weight weigh me down. I will sit in the bottom position a little longer. I'll let it yeah. take me down further because one thing that I always do is I practice on my warm-ups to go further on the range of motion than I intend to do on my working sets hmm. just to make sure Makes that sense. I'm safe. So yeah. I won't do that with like a heavy weight. Say I plan to squat 405. I will go. I will exaggerate my depth with 135. I will exaggerate my depth with 185. And then by that point, I can comfortably get deeper. But yeah. I don't want to take that too far because remember, we're still programming the movement. We're programming right. the motor unit recruitment firing pattern that we're going to execute at the top weight. So I don't want to keep going excessively deep because that's going to confuse my body with the firing pattern. I'm not going to be as efficient at the movement. So I'll mm -hmm. use my first couple warm-up sets to exaggerate the depth. Like if I'm doing chest, I'll get on a machine and I'll bring my hands. Like you can even see I, my mobility is so good. I can bring my hands to my armpits. So that's just because I consciously work on it. So I will bring my hands as deep as possible on my first couple of warm-ups of chest press, and then I'll start stopping up here when I'm getting closer to my working weight. Hmm. I like that. Mm -hmm. All right, listen, guys, we got to move on. This is a great topic. I think we could, like, you guys could keep, keep going. going. You guys could keep going. But I, I, mm. I did want to jump into our physique critique that we have here, uh, and then we do have a few listener questions that we'll jump to. So this came to us from Sean Welsh. He's one of our Patreon guys. Now, what I'm seeing is he sent me what looked to be current off-season pictures, and he sent me some stage pictures. Which ones do you guys want to see first? Uh, let's see the off-season. Well, uh, is, is he in the off-season now, and, and he competed like before this? Or uh, did he, I, he didn't mention after? it. He didn't mention it, but I'm going to guess that the, the off-season pictures are current where he's at at the moment. Let's see the stage picks first, then. All right. All right. So here's a front double. We'll start there. And then I've got a rear double as well. Just drop this in right here, and I'll blow it up a little bit. He's going to um, have great legs. Yeah? Adductors. I think he needs more adductors. Well, I'm saying structurally, he's going to have great. Is he young? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not sure how old he is. You can honestly. see structurally, he's not an old he guy, has though. legs that are going to pop. His sweep is going to be big. Uh, mm. His adductors attach all the way down at the knee, which is good. Mm. So he's going to have a very – his physique looks like he's going to be lower body dominant when he's bigger. Hmm. Is this uh, – is he a welter or a middle – like uh, what is this? This is, uh, is this is USA's, right? Let's see. He says uh, – I'll just read you what, looks he, like it. what he sent along with it. He says uh, – He's got, uh, let's see, I compete in classic and men's open bodybuilding, including included uh, recent uh, updates to his coach. Uh, this is a few weeks post-diet phase. Also included stage shots from my show last August. Not great lighting, though, he says. Now, are we specifically commenting on legs or the entire physique? Yeah, it's just Everything. a physique critique completely. Okay, fair enough. Okay. I think he's on the right path, honestly. <laughs> like I know it's he's probably looking for real nitpicky stuff. I pointed out I think he needs to increase the density in, in the inner thigh area, but I think he's got a good structure. I think he just continues to progress and put on muscle evenly. Um like he, he look at his uh his shoulder to waist ratio is good. He's able to pull his abs in, he's got good control there. Mm -hmm. Um 
you know, one thing he's going to run into probably like a lot of us taller guys is um, arms. You know, biceps in particular are going to look a little bit smaller as his chest and his uh, the rest of his body continues to grow. Um, let's see the back shot. Condition seems pretty well balanced from front to back and head to toe. And when I say relatively balanced, um, nothing really stands out to where you see him from the front and you see him from the back and you go, eh, you know, that's which is always good for going further, I think, in, in yeah. sport. Um, you know, does he have a and I don't know, I'm, I'm just does he have a did he have a torn pack? Did he? It Go may on. have just been a lighting issue. I think it was a lighting uh, in the tan. I think it's the way that okay. the, the, the... All right. I'll pull up this off-season picture. We'll get a good look at it. it. The lighting's a little bit different. We'll see if this is any better. His body fat is distributed evenly into the off-season, yeah. so I, he's got a good future. Yeah. yeah I see what you're just, saying about that pick, season. What's that? You get, I, well, I do see what um, Skip's saying about his left peck is a little bit. It is. It is. Yeah, you're right. There's yep. something. Just a little bit. Yeah. It it's does. A weird, it looks if like, it is a tear, it's a weird tear, though. Yeah. Um, and again, agree? that doesn't come back to. Now, I'm just I'm being overly critical here because you guys kind of went to the legs first. And when you said that, I go, oh, yeah, I guess so. Um, thin adductors. At the same time, I went to the upper body. I thought going back to, um, and you can see it here a little bit too, but his back is obviously widening up because it's in the off season, but his, his chest and back width is, is in the stage picks, I think pretty thin. But here's the thing, balanced overall, I don't see anything that's absolutely like, oh shit, that's missing. I see you gotta you gotta bang and you just gotta fill out and mm. fill out everywhere and then see as you're growing but you know i say this a lot my clients would be laughing right now if they hear me say this They're like oh he told me that unless you have an absolute glaring weakness and you need to fill out like i like this guy here i think um you just bang and grow and as you start to grow if that weakness starts to become more apparent then you then would shift towards Focusing on the weak area. he I think he needs size before he needs to really hone in on, oh, mm. this is a weak area. I need to bring it up. But that's just that's just my opinion. I'd agree with you, Skip. How tall I, is he? Because, I mean, he hamstrings. Looks... Maybe the hams need a little bit of, of work compared to the quads. See, I, 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 I made, I'd make, you know, I, people will ask, like, oh, how do I target my upper chest? I'm like, you can't, you can't mold. A small piece of clay. You need a big piece of clay first. So, like Skip said, before he even worries about weak points and balance, he just needs total body mass. Mm. You know, people will say, "How do I hit my upper chest?" I'm like, don't worry about your upper chest. Worry about your whole chest. You know, yeah. like how do I? And hit my the shoulders from the back look pretty good. I mean, they yeah. look pretty balanced. For you know, even he rear needs, delts. I've always said, a pro, you can pick out a pro from one small body part, and that's rear delts. <laughs> he needs. He, need, he needs a two-year offseason. Is what he needs. Yeah. Yeah, I'd love to see what he looks like his next uh, show because if he just keeps doing what it seems like he's been doing, I think you know he's going to be five, seven pounds heavier, and he's going to really like the way he looks. Yeah. yeah, and very good structure. I mean, yeah, that shot right there is pretty damn good. Shoulder to waist ratio, um, just shape itself. I mean, his calves are already off to a great start. At least he doesn't have to spend ten years trying to grow calves. But these <laughs> they days, don't they don't count anymore. in the show anyway. Exactly, yeah. exactly. 
No, I, I think he's he's got a great physique. He's, uh, you know, just keep doing what you're doing, dude. Listen to your coach. It, it's obviously working. I'd love to see you in two years and see where you're at. Yeah, yeah. All right, cool. Well, we'll jump into some questions then. Hey, what's going on, guys? I'm going to take a brief moment to shout out our sponsors. I'll make it quick, but this stuff's super important because it's our sponsors that help to make this show possible. If it wasn't for them, we wouldn't be here. And if it wasn't for you shopping with our sponsors, we wouldn't be here either. You can support our programming by shopping with truenutrition.com. They're our title sponsor. They've supported us for a number of years. They have awesome health and performance supplements. You can ask Skip or Dusty or Scott Stevenson all about True Nutrition and they'll tell you how good of a company they are. Hardcore bodybuilders have trusted them for over 15 years now. Use our code THINK. You'll get some savings. You'll support our programming. If you're in Canada, you can shop with supplementsource.ca. They have highly discounted supplements, discounts on bulk orders, and free shipping over $99. Check them out. And finally, you can directly support our programming on Patreon. I'll have links below for Patreon and everything else. We're taking more questions over there, and I appreciate everybody who's already helping to directly support our programming through our Patreon. All right, guys, thanks for hanging with me. Let's get back to the show. Um, I know, Andrew, you'd put something up, uh, and we grabbed a bunch. I've got one, I believe, from over here at Patreon. We might have some more uh, over at the group, so we'll just see what we can get through. I'm going to grab this one first. This is from, actually, this is from one of the new people who are taking part in Patreon. So thank you very much, Mina. Much appreciated. And he says, uh, Phil is definitely one of my favorite coaches as of late. The guy speaks the truth. My question is post-show, how do you deal with the hunger that sets in uh, past the two to three weeks? Um, I don't mean the week after as personally after my first show, I went right back on plan into reverse for the past three weeks. I am very strict with everything, just planned cheats such as Thanksgiving. Only had three uh, since the show, not counting uh, show weekend. The last week I have felt like a monster, even with uh, eating more than I have ever before. This shit is tougher than prep. <laughs> Sounds young. Do we have an age? No, I'm not sure how old he is. Young or new to competing, slightly new to competing. Okay, well, here's here's one thing that um, I always try to specify to my guys and anybody who asks me is when you're on the rebound, you don't want to be complaining about that appetite. The higher your appetite stays for a longer period of time, the more you can exploit that rebound period because hmm. it means Thank your you. body is constantly looking for nutrients. You all, you guys all know, if you, if you smash legs, you're not going to be hungry that night, but the next day you're ravenous because your body wants nutrients for repair. So the longer you can draw out that hunger period, and actually it's funny because uh, – Andrew's client, Nate, is one of the fucking best at this, mm-hmm. is staying tight and drawing out that rebound. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if you guys put on 10 pounds on a couple of those rebounds. Yeah, I agree. Like solid. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he looks like at the end of at the end of Nate's rebound, 12 weeks, he still looks like he could diet in five weeks and get ready for a show. But he's 10, 15 pounds bigger. So, yeah, yeah. like, the longer you can stay hungry, the longer you can exploit that rebound. So I wouldn't mm. look at it from a point of I want this hunger to stop and I need to fix this hunger because you really don't you know fact of the matter is deal with it throughout the course of the day get in if you're if your nutrition is structured properly you shouldn't be starving you know you should have good sized meals that satiate you for a little bit so if you're hungry so what you're hungry for a fucking hour and then you get to eat again big deal <laughs> you know i think a lot of the a lot of what separates bodybuilders is not necessarily always genetics but it's the effort 
And it's the ability to endure and the ability to constantly and continually execute because we've seen, quote unquote, the next Mr. Olympia a thousand times. And how many times has that guy not even turned pro because he doesn't have the mindset to do it? And I think that's one of the things that pros don't get credit for. Oh, the drugs. No, those motherfuckers haven't missed meals for 10 years, you know? (laughs) Like, they don't skip meals. They don't miss meals. They don't have bad workouts. They don't let stress get in their way. Nothing stops them. And that's what makes them great bodybuilders, too. People don't understand, don't put enough effort into the right mindset and approach. So you shouldn't be worried about hunger. Hunger's a good thing. If you have a bang out, blow out PR workout, okay, so add two to four ounces of steak to your final meal. You know, add an extra cup of rice. You know, you don't eat ice cream. You don't eat any of that bullshit, you know? If you really want to do this, stay diligent and do it, you know. Um, but I think staying hungry during a rebound is actually one of the most important factors possible. You should be happy as fuck you're that hungry. That means your body's what, what, using all the food. Think about it the opposite way. What is the worst situation when you're 15 weeks into an off-season and your appetite's already shot? Yeah, like, that's horrible. That's, true. that's the worst. When you wake up in the morning and you're like, I can't even eat this, you know, 50 grams of egg whites and two cups of oat. Like, that's the worst because how are you going to eat meal two, three, four, five, and six that day, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I agree with you about that. And I always, when people are like, oh, I'm still starving and it's been six weeks since the show, I'm like, that is awesome. And they're like, what do you mean? I'm like, because you're still partitioning at a high rate, we can continue to feed you. I want to keep you as hungry as long as possible. I'm, I'm right with you there 100%, 100%. Hell yeah. The only thing I would add to that is this. If he were hungry but not progressing well in the gym, strength is stagnant, things like that, then – I know as a coach, I'd be looking at it going, oh, shit, you know, am I not pushing hard enough here? But if you're growing and you're progressing in the gym, I mean, that, you know, that strength is, in a sense, married to, you know, you're not going to increase your strength in bodybuilding rep ranges and not be growing and, you know, that sort of shit. So if, as long as you're eat it, just fucking, and when I say eat it, I don't mean eat the food. I mean, eat your hunger and yeah. deal with deal it with and build it. back. In. Very, very good points. I mean, I, I think we're also just for the audience. I think we're, we're we're assuming that this person is eating a normal amount of food for where he's at right. this time. He's not right. he's not eating thirteen hundred calories and starving. Right. Like I would expect him to be fucking. Well, he ravenous. said he's eating more than he's ever eaten in his life. Exactly. So that that was. So if you're eating more than he's... you've ever eaten in your life, and you're still hungry. That's fucking great. Yeah, yeah. like I would love that situation because <laughs> okay, yeah. all of us are, are north of thirty. I bet to a T, all of us after we got to a certain age, eating became a lot harder. The calories, like we can still oh, do yeah. it. But it's a mental battle more so than when we were in our twenties. Are we all agreed? I oh, yeah. I, I have I haven't wanted to eat a meal in months. <laughs> Same here. Same here. I hate eating. I think I'm it's important to note though I, so, that I, I am I, I only joke, north of thirty by around. this much. <laughs> I was jo- I was joking around on the thread, and actually, it's funny. Josh Wade actually replied because he said because I said. The first thing I'm going to do when I stop bodybuilding is I'm going to walk into the into the kitchen and look at the fridge and give it the finger. Be like, "Fuck you, I'm not eating today." Yeah. And, and he's like, he's like, and Josh said he's like, it's amazing. Like going to my kids' games and not having to pack three meals and, yeah, and watch no. the clock and just fuck it. Yeah. Everybody thinks the best thing about eating is just eating what you want and eating things you're not supposed to. The best thing about not eating is I, I know if I'm not training, I'm eating once, maybe twice a day. I'll realize, oh, shit, it's been 12 fucking hours. I got to eat something <laughs> like I, it, 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 I love not eating. I fucking I love always hate it. I love it. Same here. Yep. Same here. That's why I love dieting. <laughs> you're, you're way more productive. You're mentally When I'm dieting, cute. I don't give a shit. I love being hungry. Yep. Yeah, that's funny. That's funny. 
All right, I'm going to jump into the questions that Andrew grabbed here. We'll start up with this one. We'll see how this loads on the screen. There we go. Uh, best time to take GH when training in the morning. Only ingesting pre-EAAs, pre, cluster dextrin, and electrolytes. I don't like that structure to begin with. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for saying that. I was like, I don't why know. Would you, why, saying, would, why, would, why would you be doing that? You need to get up and have something that's whole food but that digests fast enough. You're going to tell me you can't eat 15 ounces of your Greek yogurt and a half a cup of cream of rice that digests in 45 minutes? Yeah. Get up 45 minutes early if you have to. But obviously, well, you're going to want to backload your food, so you're going to eat a bigger meal before bed, knowing that you're going to wake up early and train, which means your food's going to be lower middle the middle of the day. But you need to get up in the morning and have some fucking food. That's what matters. Get, Don't focus. I'm not even focused on the GH. I'm focused on the fact that you're not eating a meal before the workout. That the GH isn't going to matter is what you're saying. In, in you guys, let, let me ask you guys, would you do this in a situation? Because I, I, I do this all, this all the time with people that are in that particular situation. I have them have a blended shake ready in the fridge or by their bed stand or in the pound that. Go back to bed for the 45 or 60 minutes yeah. that you can. And then, okay, now you're, you're digested. Right, you're ready right, to go. That's a good point. I've, I've even posted videos on my on my Instagram showing people my whole food shakes. You guys just saw me. Um, I just drank a, 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 a yogurt shake, which was essentially 15 ounces of Greek yogurt and one scoop of vanilla Pro-HD to flavor it and get extra protein, a little bit of Splenda, and I just chug it. It's food. It's not a supplement. You know, I believe yeah. that food works better than supplements, and even though there's one scoop of a high-quality whey in there, it's mostly yogurt. And I've even done videos of my, uh, of my whole food shakes that I've made where I'll, I'll cook 100 grams of carbs from cream of rice. I'll let it cool down. I'll throw it in a blender with 15 ounces of Greek yogurt, a scoop of whey protein, some fruit, blend it up, let it sit so the bubbles come out and the volume goes down, and then it's ready to go whenever you fucking need it. Why can't you do that in the morning? Yeah, I agree. You know, so the GH isn't going to fucking matter if you're not eating properly before the workout. All right. Got another. We're on a kick here. There's like seven GH questions. We well, this is the same person. This is oh. the same person. That I think he wanted like the full tutorial on GH. Oh, OK. Well, we'll do one more then. Uh, on the wrong things. GH yeah. more the better or is eight IU pharmaceutical grade enough during a prep? Many thanks. How do I responsibly answer this? <laughs> That's a lot of GH, man. Eight IU. Yeah. Well, I'm going to be honest. J Jay Cutler is very well known for telling people that he trusts the more you can afford, the more you take. Yeah. And I'm going to be. That's and I'm going to be dead. Answer. I'm going to be dead honest. Um, one prep, I started climbing my GH up there, and the only reason I, I saved myself from getting a GH gut was because my prep. It was in prep, and I only had two weeks before I had to cut it out for the show. So I only got to do this for two weeks, but I ran 14 IUs for two weeks. And when I tell you I got a fucking pump in my lats from looking at the warm up, the, pull, the lat pull down bar, <laughs> thinking about warming up, I got pumped. And anything you did, you got leaner, fuller, and and, and bigger. Everything inflated. I have a picture uh, standing in the mirror, like to the like by, by my back showing. I look like a gorilla. Yeah. Even if because you did how, chins on the lat bar, I, was, and I, was eating, I mean, I'm just and I was eating nothing. <laughs> I did the month but, of uh, eighteen. I did the month of a bottle of Ceros a day. Well, certain people. Best I've ever felt certain, in my life. Best I've ever felt certain, in my life. Certain people, wow. certain people have a different response to GH. So you've got to monitor your response. I seem to be prone to getting a GH gut because my stomach expanded to the point where you couldn't see my linea alba, my my the middle of my abs where they separate. And I was always known for having very very good abs, like very aesthetic abs, um, like they're just perfectly blocked and in line and deep and everything. <laughs> but um, 
I think that you need to find your sweet spot because what people don't realize is GH is also going to cause a certain level of insulin resistance. And then you're going to start to have blood glucose elevate, and then it's going to be a slippery slope where your, your, uh, your sensitivity is going to get worse. And now you got to add insulin and things like that. Hmm. So for most amateur, I think that GH is to an extent ruining pro bodybuilding right now because what people don't realize is GH upregulates collagen synthesis. Um, I forget the percentage, but it's extremely high. And people's skin actually starts getting thicker. Hmm. So it's not the insulin that's making people's skin thicker, not the insulin alone, but insulin does amplify GH because it elevates IGFPP3 hmm. and extends the IGF half-life. So to an extent, together they're even worse, but it's thickening everybody's skin. I think that a sweet spot is best. So I would say if you could afford unlimited GH, between six and eight IUs, you're not going to need to go much higher. The yeah. problem is a lot of today's bodybuilders have figured out that if you start climbing into that 10, 12, 14 IU rep range, uh, uh, dose range, you'll grow out of control. Hmm. And that's why we have the massive bodybuilders that we have today, but they're all losing detail. You know, yeah. They're losing shape. They're losing separation. You know, they're not coming as conditioned as they can. And I think to an extent, the reason why they're not coming to, as conditioned as they can is because their sensitivity is getting fucked closer into the show. So they can't adequately lose that last bit of body fat, and they can't peak properly because of the resistance that it's causing. But people did figure out, and I'm not going to lie, the more fucking GH you take, you could do anything and grow. I think it matters, too, how old... God, I want to start running yeah, a bunch of GH now. I gotta grab a charger. Give me one second. <laughs> yeah. But I think it matters too how old the person asking the question is as far as dosing too, because eight IU, you know, pharmaceutical grade growth for me now. That's it, a lot. And it's, and now, I mean, I can't, you know, compared to when I was say twenty five, you know, that I don't want to see it be day and night, but it, there would be a pretty stark contrast um, yeah. when it comes to think, age. I think the other thing to look at is where's the person at in their career? Like, is GH even needed for one thing, right? Like, if you're a local competitor, like, I'll give you a quick story. I, have a, I had a first-time competitor who, Phil, you just, yeah, there you go. I had a first-time competitor. <laughs> he's a younger guy, and he's like, all right, coach, I saved up, like, 3600 bucks. This is, mind you, he was in the middle of, like, his second cycle of his life getting ready for a show. He's like, I've saved up X amount of money. Like, what's your source for GH? I'm, I'm going to run it for this prep. And I'm like hold on, dude, like you're a young guy. I'd rather you save that money and do something else with it yeah. because you don't need it right now. Like it's not going to really make a difference, you know, like other than put a dent in your wallet. You have yeah. so much growth that you can get from just training, nutrition, and the regular anabolics that we're using. We don't, we don't need to add, like, I, I look at it as like, it's like a sweetener, you know, once mm -hmm. you get to the point where you've done like six or 10 cycles, you've done 10, 12 shows, like you've seen what you're going to look like pushing the gear, pushing the food, pushing the training, putting the time in. Then you can add the GH. I think that's the proper way to look at it. I, it kind of bugs me when guys, like right off the bat, they're doing their first or second cycle and they're throwing GH in. I just, I just, I just think they're, you're, you're going to miss out on the experience and you're going to lose. You might even inhibit your growth in some ways. I, I, I honestly, I don't let my classic guys use GH. And if they do, it's, a, it's four I use tops simply because of the thing that I said is it starts to thicken your skin. And the classic division detail is one of the strongest players in the game. And if your skin just starts to get thicker, you're going to lose detail, and we don't want to risk the waist expansion either. So right. my classic guys, I don't even let them use GH simply because I don't want to ruin those factors. Now, like you guys said before, age does play a factor because like I was saying with the skin thickness thing, as you get older, your skin gets thinner. So uh -huh. maybe at that point, the benefit 
protecting you from injuries and, and healing up quicker and the recovery outweighs worrying about the skin thickness because your skin's already getting thinner to begin with. Now, if you're Double in your early twenties, what? Go ahead. Don't finish. I got to. I got to count. I'm going to counter with that. If you're in your early twenties, your skin's already thick. Why do you want to make that worse? Hmm. Yeah. You know, if you look at a lot of the Olympians, like even specifically, I hate to say it, but Jay Cutler. Um, yeah, I was just thinking Jay. I, I've sent you that comparison, haven't I? I don't know, but I, it's it, his back it was when he turned pro about. versus when he won the Olympia. Yeah, and maybe. and he drastically lost detail in his back. Are you telling me that huh. Jay forgot how to diet when he turned Mr. when he became Mister Olympia, <laughs> or yeah. did his skin get thicker? Yeah, huh. I agree. You know, he lost. Well, and I think we've talked about striated when he when he turned pro, and there was not a striation on his lats when he was winning the Olympia. Even the 2001 Mr. Olympia, when, uh, you know, a lot that of people... He, that was when he started pushing the GH up, and you could see what it did to his physique. Yeah. But I was going to say that you and me have had this conversation before where certain population groups have thicker... Like, we talk about, like, seal skin, or it's harder to get certain people in shape. And I think we've agreed that a lot of time it's because the skin is thicker. And I did a little research into certain population groups. They do have a higher GH level naturally, which hmm. can contribute to the That's collagen and elastin. Yeah, yeah. Um, I can send you guys that research. I don't want to like turn this. They probably got real thing, pretty but... skin when they get into their fifties, so yeah, yeah, <laughs> they typically do. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, and I was going to piggyback off of what uh, Phil was saying with the age, and that is this: you mean because you made the one of the two points I was going to make about the skin. It can be to the benefit of skin because of the collagen and everything that you know we lose as we age. Yet on the other side of that sword um, is the the potential for more distension as we age. And especially if you've been in bodybuilding for a long time, you're not going to see many bodybuilders who, who are around since the eighties who are still banging, who don't have a distension issue. And so then you have to balance, okay, I may want that collagen benefit of the skin so that it doesn't look as thin yet. I also don't want to increase the distension that I'm already battling with. Hmm. So there's a, there's a fine line there. I, have, I actually have a theory behind this. Now, I don't have a lot to support it, but I do have logic to support it. And uh, it actually, it's actually a running joke. I'm pretty sure Andrew's aware of this, that um, a lot of the things that I, I had, you know, I might say innovated, but figured out, a lot of people that are more well-known than me started, uh, started spouting it off, and they got the credit for it when I'm the one who figured it out. So I want everybody to remember that I said this if I end up being right. But um, GH is reparative. It's regenerative. Uh, we have a lot of IGF receptors on our intestinal tract. I think that the distension from GH comes from people who already have pre-existing GI issues. Now, as you know, my, my, my fiance is a GI nurse. She worked for some of the world's top specialists, so I learned a lot through her. Um, and I became really, really aware of um, what happens to the GI tract. And then what I found out is a lot of pros actually retired because they can't digest. I know for a fact that Dexter didn't retire because it was beating him up. He couldn't handle the food anymore. You know, Brad Rowe retired because he couldn't handle the food anymore. And we, we get wear and tear just like anything else in this world. And we push tons of food through our GI tract over and over and over through a period of time. And, you know, my fiance has even told me, she's like, if you come in to get checked with an endoscopy and a colonoscopy, we're going to find something on everybody. It just depends on if it's 5%, 10% along, 15%, some are worse than others. But we'll always find something because there's always wear and tear. So I think that as people start to get GI issues, the GH is drawn to that area for, for repair. And what's a repair response? It's inflammation. 
So I think we start to get a lot of inflammation through the digestive tract and a, a lot of IGF basically binding in the intestinal tract and trying to repair all the problems that are going on in there. Hmm. And I think that exacerbates the problem. And that's one of the reasons why GH gut starts to happen. Another is as we age, our, ins our, our, our insulin sensitivity does get worse. That happens with everybody as you age. So what happens is as your insulin sensitivity is getting worse and then you're exacerbating that with GH, what happens? you start to store visceral fat, you know, especially with sugar intake and things like that. So now you've got visceral fat building up around your intestinal intestinal tract on the inside, pushing everything out, causing distension. Now you don't want to wear a belt because it's uncomfortable because you can't breathe because your intestines are pushing up into your diaphragm mm -hmm. when you're trying to wear a belt. So now you leave your belt off, your obliques start to grow, and it's just a slippery slope. It's snowball effect. Mm -hmm. I agree. I can't disagree with that. Shit, that's a, yeah. that's a Hickam's dictum. Thing. I don't know if you guys are familiar. Uh, you're, you're. Have you made? Have you gotten married yet? I want to. I don't want to refer no. to her as your wife. Okay, I'm sorry, um, but she probably is familiar with it from the medical field. Hickam's Hickam's dictum or Hickam's Hickam's dictum versus Occam's razor. Hickam's dictum basically says that there is a lot of different. Um, like you can have more than one illness or, or more than one issue. So it's difficult to narrow down specifically what it is. Occam's razor, we use this a lot and train in bodybuilding and stuff is you, the most obvious answer is usually the answer. And, hmm. and then you go from there. So it's simple versus complicated. And that's why you make a good point. It's one that I, I haven't thought about before. I've always stood on, and I don't want to drag this topic out, but I, I've always stood on that the, the distension comes from, it started in the 90s when it was force feeding for growth and that the intestines are like rubber bands and you can only stretch them so many times and they're going to lose elasticity. So they become less elastic over time and that that is contributing to it, too. And which is it's probably a lot of a little bit of everything, all of it. To be it's honest. All of yeah, exactly. It's well, also, which ones play well, so more into it. You tell me you when you load up your back, though. When you load up your back, even if it's on a hack squat, that your intra-abdominal muscles are not also working as well. I mean, years and years of doing that, everything's well, going to grow. You don't just put muscle on your legs when you're doing a heavy squat. Not, on, not, only, not only that, how does your body facilitate motility? Your intestines have to contract, yeah. which means there's muscle. Sure. There. And if we're taking all of those anabolics and things like that, well, that's going to grow too. You know, I remember no. when, I was, when I was taking that 14 I used GH and I started getting some distension, uh, whenever I would pose, you know, Fred would always say to me, suck your stomach in, suck your stomach in, suck your stomach in. And I used to tell her, oh, my stomach's full. I'll do it. I made every excuse in the fucking book. But the fact of the matter is I couldn't suck my stomach in. Huh. It wouldn't go in. When I sucked in, it might have gone almost flat, but I couldn't do a vacuum. I couldn't hmm. get it in. It, there was something in the way. There was something going on in there, inflammation, visceral fat. Something in there was keeping me from pulling it in. And does that fight against the strength of the TVA? Because I would also argue yeah, that absolutely. as well. When it we're young, does. yeah. When we're young, the TVA is so fucking strong. And then when and, your TVA, and then when your TVA gets weaker, your stomach sticks out more. Exactly. You can have strong abs, but not necessarily strong TVA. And that's what absolutely. I'm dealing with now. And as I've incorporated these vacuums, it's made just a huge, huge impact. And now clients are picking up on it and people are going, oh my God, I read your article. Holy shit, I can't even believe that, that it worked. I didn't think it would work. It's crazy. Yeah, you know, there's a lot of components there. Speaking of I have skip. everybody doing vacuums and prep. 
Somebody oh, somebody no, had asked on the last show, Skip. They 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 commented on YouTube. They wanted to know more about your vacuums. Do you say you wrote an article over? Yeah, uh, I wrote it. A uh, coach. I had a coach log on Elite FTS. The problem is, is I'm having a hard time getting those logs out because they're revamping the the website for the last few months, and it won't transfer. I have to actually use the link versus the normal format, and it's just it's really difficult. But if they go to my author page on Elite FTS, and they can find that on my Instagram. Um, if okay. they go to you know what? Tree. Yeah, you, you, I'll tell you what, man. If you send me that link, yeah, I will put it in the YouTube description for that guy, so that, that he can good. he can get to that. Um, hey, listen. So we're running low on time, but we did have a couple more questions. These were we had a couple things that popped up in the live feed. I figured let's try to you know clean house a little bit here. Um, my question is how to control high LDL while on cycle. Any of you guys are welcome to jump in on this one. Well, I think that a lot of people are overly concerned with LDL and they're not really testing for VLDL, which is even worse. Hmm. VLDL is going to be your, is going to be your most dangerous marker for cholesterol. Um, so uh, my best way, in my opinion, is hit cardio. Jack hmm. that heart rate up. It's like blowing the exhaust out of the pipes and get that blood pumping hard. I've seen that have better effects than any supplement I've seen people take, maybe with the exception of carterine, but hey, throw carterine in and do it, more hit cardio. Hmm, nice. I like that answer. You guys got anything you want to throw in? I, I mean, I think we've already talked about this in previous shows, but you know, maybe don't use that drug or lower the dose for one thing. That's yeah, yeah I mean... One of the biggest ways people fuck up their cholesterol is they like to use Arimidex. And Arimidex is shown just, to tank your cholesterol. Aromacin does not. So I, I was just going to say, look at your ancillaries, too. AI, Aromacin is your safest bet. But you need to be testing your bloods in order to know if your estrogen even is out of range. Because hmm, you don't want to yeah. crash it. You know, so right. if, you're, if your estrogen is not out of range, don't use an AI. You know? Yeah. yeah. But, but I'm supposed to. because I mean, you know... Don't, I can't. I can't go down this rabbit hole. I just can't. <laughs> next, next question. All right. Do competitors ever use an ARB to control aldosterone for a peak? I can't comment on this because honestly, I've been looking into it, and I don't have enough knowledge now yet with the the you call them ARBs, I call them ARBs, whatever. But uh, I have actually been listening to an uh, Austin Stout. And because he seems to know, he seems to have a pretty good knowledge base on, on the ARBs. And, and I was intrigued by something he said, which is actually what got me looking into it more. So, <coughs> excuse me, I'm going <coughs> to, after you, when you get into your 50s, you um, you choke on the food that you're swallowing, the water you're drinking, and sometimes just phlegm in your throat. So I apologize. Trend cough. We know it's the trend. It's all right. It's all right. We love you. What was the question? I, I'm sorry. My, my thing cut out. Oh, uh, we also got a comment here. So he says, my wife is a marathon runner. Her LDL is in the 30s and her HDL is over 100. I was like, what the fuck? How do I know this name? Don't I know this I name? Chase Irons? Did you? Yeah, that's... I don't uh, think I've ever seen that. Uh, well, okay. So my first thought is that there might be like a gene mutation. I, I've read about it somewhere in the research before about these really skewed cholesterol levels because um, I'm going to have to like circle back, but, but there's, I think there's a gene mutation there that causes this. Like she's like one of the very, very few people that I've never seen blood work that had that. So I can't comment. Hmm. And they, the, the, he, his original question, Andrew was, um, 
do have you ever seen a competitor use an ARB an ARB to control aldosterone for a peak? Okay. All right. Uh, let me see. All right. I think I've got one more over here. Let me see. I've got like a hundred different screens opened up right now. Here it is. All right. I gotta do like a little screen capture. Give me just a second. All right. Here we go. So it says, um, recently started to take TRT with a clinic. They have me at 200 test sip with HCG. I was lucky enough to also, I'm going to put my, you guys can't see my hands right now. I'm putting my hands up in air quotes to also qualify <laughs> for an antifar prescription. Uh, they give me 25 milligrams a day for 16 weeks. Uh, it was quite pricey also. That's why he qualified. Yeah, he right. Uh, <laughs> do you think it would be better to take this once a day, 25 milligrams uh, pre-workout for 16 weeks or 25 milligrams twice a day for eight weeks? What is going to be the most effective? Thank you, guys. I have a feeling we're all going to say the same thing. I have a feeling a as well. <laughs> the 50 migs? That's good shit. Yeah. No, I, yeah, I yeah. would say don't take a fucking oral for 16 weeks. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, yeah. yeah. I was say, and and yeah. I, it's kind of odd that a doctor would prescribe that for 16 weeks. I run. Right? I, I, if I, well, if he I qualified. Orals at all, so. it's a buster and it's four weeks. Say that again, Phil. Oh, shoot. If I put my guys on orals at all off season, it's a plateau buster and it's for four weeks. Thank mm. you. I do the same shit. Yes. So and we're thinking the same thing. Anavar is going to fuck up your cholesterol profile. Too. Yeah. Um, and it's not even going to give you the same type of results that like an Anadrol would give you. So I don't even know why you would do that. Would no, say, but uh, an Anavar. Oh, oh you know I'll come to blows with you about Anavar. I fucking love that <laughs> shit. <The> farm grade <laughs> too. Well, Anavar, Anavar is going to be better for connective tissue. So it's better for people that are older. It's better for injuries. It's better oh, for tendons and ligaments. Let's see what you did there. <laughs> <laughs> Snuck in a little jab. No. Um, now, I would say this. If you're going to – if I'll take it one step further. He was questioning whether to do 25 milligrams for 16 weeks or 50 for eight weeks. I would say four on at 50 meg, four off, and four on for 50 meg would be uh, – basically yeah. twice a day would, be the, use, would be the better move. When I use orals off season, I use it for a performance for a workout performance hmm. answer only. So I don't balance it throughout the day. I throw the full dose in pre workout about two hours. And anybody who wants to challenge that scientifically, well, you can look into um, elevating uh, uh, sharply elevating uh, testosterone or androgen levels are going to cause a sharp increase in aggression, more central nervous system activity. So it is going to boost mindset aggression. Uh, the, the rate at which your nervous system is firing, it's not placebo. It works. Right on. We've got one more question, but before we got to it, I wanted to take a moment to introduce to you my fiance for the first time ever on a podcast. <laughs> As she sits <laughs> the over first there. Time ever. Congratulations. Congratulations. As as my fiance. She uh, I proposed yesterday. And, uh, cool. yeah, it was, it was cool. It was exciting. Oh, so she so. said yes. She did say yes, <laughs> okay. which made right. everything. That's yeah. That's why I'm yeah, so happy. Either that or Scott kidnapped her and she's stuck in that room with him. She's not. <laughs> keep it quiet. Keep it quiet. We're almost done. I'll feed you after that. You don't that. see the chain around her ankle. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, congratulations on that. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Uh, okay. Last one we've got here. 
Does Phil still believe in eating like we did when we were kids? Cereal is the best carb and so on. <laughs> this is from one of my clients. Yeah. Uh, it's it's yeah, situational. It depends. I find that you could, if you're having trouble getting the food in, cereal is very easy to eat. You know, especially post-workout when people have been training hard, uh, nervous systems have shifted, you're not that hungry, especially after legs. Cereal is very easy to get in without um, – causing any type of GI disruption and stomach aches and, and nausea and, and things like that. You know, it's a hell of a lot easier than eating rice and fucking chicken. I'll tell you that for sure. Yeah. You know, so I like it post-workout. I do it pre-workout because um, I just have a problem eating enough food to grow because of how fast my metabolism is. So I'll don't do this unless your metabolism is crazy fast. Stipulate that now. But I'll do like a box of cereal two hours pre-workout, which is like 300 grams of carbs with the milk. It's like 350. God um, damn. And, <laughs> still, and my blood glucose will still drop by the end of my workout. Yeah, I was just going to say, do you ever run into like a transient hypoglycemia? Like by oh, the I fucking went I, – two weeks ago, uh, training legs with my training partners, my, my blood glucose went low mid-legs. And <laughs> I had eaten yeah. I had eaten 600 grams of carbs that day before the workout. And you, and you were wow. probably doing some intra-carbs too, right? Yeah, you and I was, still, I was, I was, yeah. but you know what? You can't sip as much during legs because you'll puke. Yeah. Yep. So like, I couldn't get the carbs in fast enough without feeling nauseous to stop my blood glucose from dropping. Huh. And I don't know why it is, but I don't tend to sweat a lot when I train unless I'm unless like we're doing like crazy high reps, drop sets, supersets, shit like that. And I started like I was like I was oh, starting yeah. to sweat, and I and I could feel that I was getting weaker. Yeah. 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 All right. So I, I to answer your question, um, I like cereal, and actually somebody who uh, really loves cereal, Scott Stevenson, who we all yes. know and respect beyond most anybody in this industry. So if Scott says it's good, I'm good. Hashtag <laughs> cereal gains nation. Yes. <laughs> all right. Listen. Well, I appreciate all you guys hanging out with us, and Phil, I especially. Appreciate you. Excuse me, I can't talk. All of a sudden, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm mesmerized by beauty nervous. over here. Uh, <laughs> no, I appreciate you coming out and hanging out with us, man. Like I said, dude, I uh, I listened to all of the episodes that you did with Geared Up, and in my opinion, the stuff that I enjoyed out of that podcast, that was like my favorite stuff because I was learning stuff every week from that, and that was cool. And it was awesome that you've been able to hang out here and give people. You know, kind of a taste of that again because it's yeah, uh, it's great, man. Complaining that I didn't do podcasts a lot lately, yeah. and one of the reasons why I wasn't doing any podcasts lately is because I felt like they all, a lot of them became generic and they all became the same. And a lot of it was just even people do, trying to be educational. You, you know, they're saying it takes one to know one. Like if you lined up ten physicists, I couldn't tell you who sucked and who was good. Yeah. You know, <laughs> so a lot of these people are listening to these people that regurgitate information and use big words and they speak real well and they're good salesmen. They're like, oh, this guy knows a lot. And I can clearly see that they don't know how to work with the information. You know, it's mm. like, okay, like I, when I, used, I used to interview people and they were all coming off of, for when I used to manage personal training departments. They'd be coming off, you know, their NASM, for example. They throw big words at me like proprioception. And I'll be like, okay, you gave me the definition. Get up and show it to me. Hmm. Oh, like they can't do it, you know, so it really drove me nuts. So um, when people started asking about podcasts, um, I pretty much hit up two of my friends that I know do do good podcasts and actually understand the information or very good coaches like you guys and one other friend of mine, you know, 
uh, who is Jason Theobald. So oh, other, nice. than, other, than, other than those, you know, I think a lot of these podcasts are bullshit, regurgitated information. Um, and it's just a lot of the same repetitive nothing, you know? Yeah. So I don't want to, I don't want to jump on a podcast unless I feel like I can be helpful and it can be beneficial and we can have a great discussion like we did here today. You know what I'm saying? I want cool. it, I want it to stand out, you know? I don't want it to be like, oh, there's another episode, you know? Okay. Yeah. yeah. It's cool. So, uh, all right. By the time this comes out, Nationals is going to be over. It's going to be a thing. So, I want to say congratulations, Andrew. You guys did a kick-ass job. Nate looked his all-time best, and it was so great to see him. Hold on. The only thing I'm going to guarantee is that it will be the best version you ever see of him on stage. That's Fuck the only yeah. thing I guarantee. We Fuck don't know yeah. who else is showing up. There's guys that aren't on Instagram that'll show up. We've all seen it happen before. That like, yeah. who's that guy? And it turns out he's the man. So like. All I can say, our mindset, me and Nate, is just we're just going to. Well, Nate, Nate right now is already better than he's ever been on stage. Yeah, so, so that's they're yeah. like they're like, and when you're that lean, people don't realize this. You know, everybody's so focused on peaking, and they don't realize that when a guy's in that kind of shape and their body is fresh and responsive, you can't really fuck that peak up. You can just do different versions of it. Hmm. Right. You well, know, that's my secret so really it, is it, just it, to it get people to appeal so that I can't mess up. Honestly, that is the big answer. If you want to go a little fuller, if you want to go a little drier, but either yes, way, he's going to exactly. Yeah. But, but for any, all the other coaches that are out there listening, get your people as peeled in their class as you can, and then you really can't mess up. Like Phil's saying, if you want to go for a little fuller look, you can push that. If you want to go a little drier, you can push that. Be peeled. That's how to do it. Yeah. I'm pumped, man, and I, I totally agree. This is the this is the best look already, and it, I yeah. feel like you guys put those carbs in this last couple of days. His waist looks even smaller now. Like I don't know Isn't how you did the it. Most impressive part. That, yeah, I, I, that's what I said. Is like, dude, your taper's even better today. This is awesome. So let's do another one. And we pulled back a little bit today to tidy up a little bit. Um, well, I'm not going to give away all the secrets, but but yeah, I, I, all I'm going to say is that he's going to look the best he's ever looked on stage. His mindset is just perfect right now, like calm, collected, just like you should be right before a show. So Hell yeah. we're in a good place. Hell yeah. Well, That's I'm going to tell you a tip. Since I have a guy in the same class, I think you should give him salt water before stage. <laughs> <laughs> I heard the salt water and potatoes uh, plan that someone used with someone at universe a few years ago. Isn't that the way to go? Oh, my God. Remember that? The what? <laughs> I know what you're talking about. So back at the universe, like three years ago, this coach, this this uh, kid, he's a super heavyweight. He's a good guy, young guy, but he was doing a little coach hopping and someone got into his ear to let him peak them for a show. This is after he was working for with Palumbo and Palumbo brought him into the Atlantic States looking really, really good. Okay. The kid showed up like 14 pounds lighter, but he looked like he was 30 pounds fatter oh, because God. this guy had him doing like salt water and loads and loads of potatoes and something weird that he he introduced a ver several variables that he had never used in his prep and it just completely made him look like 20 weeks he's out. He's a good bodybuilder too. Dang. He's a great bodybuilder. He's going to be a pro, like no doubt about it. He's got a huge frame. He's already Does like he 250 like 700 pounds. What's that? Does yes. he squat like 700 pounds at like 62? Yes. Holy shit. Yes. So Holy sounds shit. like somebody gave him the wrong we're talking about advice. geo geo if you're watching man big shout out to you you're going to be a great you're a great bodybuilder but you're going to be a pro someday just keep doing what you're doing hell yeah hell yeah well i appreciate you guys uh head over to uh, bodyberry.com you can reach out to andrew over there head over to teamskip.com of course you can reach out to skip there and hang out with him over at intense muscle as well uh and and phil what's your instagram again it's just phil underscore biz if you need cool. me dm me there write something on my page that's pretty much the only way i communicate on the internet 
Right on. I'll have uh, links to all that down in the description, guys. And as I mentioned, uh, thank you all for watching. Thanks, everybody who hung out with us on the live feed. Uh, check out our sponsors, of course, truenutrition.com. Use our code THINK. Uh, and uh, that's, that's all I got for you. Thanks, guys. Have a good one. Thank you.